Blog Talk Radio. Anybody know who Willie Lynch was? Anybody? Raise your hand. No one? He was a vicious slave owner in the West Indies. The slave masters in the colony of Virginia were having trouble controlling their slaves, so they sent for Mr. Lynch to teach them his methods. The word lynching came from his last name. His methods were very simple, but they were diabolical. Keep the slave physically strong, but psychologically weak and dependent on the slave master. Keep the body, take the mind. I and every other professor on this campus are here to help you to find, take back, and keep your righteous mind. Because obviously, you have lost it. You're traveling to another radio show. A broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, mind. A journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. imagination. That's the on-air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro Nerd Radio. With your guides, Dee Bird, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays, the uncanny Daryl D. And introducing West Coast correspondent, Miss Claire Linnae. Mind expansion engaged. What's up, folks? I'm your host, D-Bert, a.k.a. The Afro Nerd, and this is a truncated edition. Unfortunately, we have some things to do, but we did not want to not air. So we're going to do a quick hour blast of the Midweek in Review. This is Afro Nerd Radio, the Midweek in Review. The call-in number for the duration, 646-915-9620, again, 646-915-9620. Another iconic musician, uh, quintessential New York hip-hop head, Albert Johnson, a.k.a. Prodigy, has left the building, a longtime sufferer of a really deadly disease. Uh, I think many of us who are of African-American or Latin or uh, middle, uh, middle, Mediterranean, pardon me, Mediterranean extraction are familiar with sickle cell anemia. And unfortunately, he succumbed to sickle cell anemia, prodigy of mob deep. So I'm going to talk a little bit about, about the prodigy um, from a different angle. Uh, I'm not going to be a hypocrite and say that I wasn't a supporter of mob deep. But I, I, I thought that the lyrical content was somewhat problematic. But at, the, but at the same time, still not that severe considering where we are today. But uh, the sound of New York is so emblematic of Mob Deep and Nas and uh, EPMD and all those early 90 acts. You, you just can't avoid it. You just can't avoid him. So... Again, I'm going I'm to attack his story from a different angle. I'm pretty sure that uh, the captain's going to have his piece as well because, again, we're Queens natives. He was a Queens native with a uh, Long Island connection, and that's where I come in. I, we've got a, a lot to talk about for, for a minute, and then we'll talk about uh, Mr. Castile 
Philanna Castile and that case. All right, folks, um, let's go to a quick groove. Why not some Mob Deep? This is probably one of his better-known cuts, a game. Quintessential New York City hip-hop, Shook Ones. We'll be right back. Give you about two minutes. Let's groove. Hold up, son. Word. Yeah. To all the killers and the hundred dollar billers. For real, niggas who ain't got no feelings. Check it out now. Official Queensbridge, tomorrow comes equipped for warfare. Beware of my crime family who got enough stash to share for all those who want to profile and pose. Rock you in your face, ask your brain with your nose bone. You all alone in these streets, cousin. Every man for himself in his land, we be nugging. And keep them shook crews running like they supposed to. They come around, but they never come close to. I can see it inside your face, you're in the wrong place. Cowards like you just get their whole body laced up with pillow holes and stuff. Speak the wrong words, man, and you will get touched. You can put your whole army against my semen. I guarantee you it'll be your very last time breathing. Your simple words just don't move me. You're minor, we major. You all up in the game and don't deserve to be a player. Don't make me have to call your name out. We cool as February. My gosh, nuts to make you levitate. I'm only 19, but my mind is older. When the things get for real, my warm heart turns cold. Enough to get deceased, another story gets told It ain't nothing really, and you're done sparking Philly So I can get my mind off these yellow backs While they still alive, I don't know, go figure Meanwhile, back in Queens, the realness and foundation If I die, I couldn't choose a better location When the clubs penetrate, you feel a burning sensation Getting closer to God, in a tight situation now Take these words home and think it through Or the next rhyme I write might be about you Sonny, sure, this ain't no such thing halfway crooks Scared to death and scared to look, they shook Cause ain't no such thing halfway crook Scared to death and scared to look Living the life that is dominant in the guns There's numerous ways you can choose to earn funds Some get ice locked down and turn none Cowardly hearts stand straight up shook one Shook one He ain't a crook son He just shook one For every rhyme I write, it's 25 the life. There was so much to got to trust, safeguard in my life. Ain't no time for hesitation, that only leads to incarceration. You don't know me, there's no relation. Queens, red gems, you don't play. I don't got time for your petty thinking, my son, I'm bigger than those. Claiming that you pack me, but you're scared to hold. And with the smoke clear, you be left with one and you don't. 13 years in the projects, my mentality is what, kid? You talk a good one, but you don't want it. Sometimes I wonder, do I deserve to live? Or am I going to burn the hell for all the Things I did. No time to dwell on that cause my brain reacts. All right. Time constraints, folks. Time constraints. Once again, the man himself has left the building, Albert Johnson, a.k.a. Prodigy. Probably one of their most famous slash infamous hits, Shook Ones. Uh, I would dare, dare say a, uh, a staple for classic hip-hop, even till this day, when people, quote-unquote, spit on a mic and do freestyles, that is one of the jams that you go to. Anyway, 42 years of age, passing on from sickle cell anemia. Let's get into it. Shorter show, folks, but we're still not going to short shrift on content. Captain, you're needed by what? No, you know, at left. Why can I speak? Left Rack City <laughs> on the bridge. Let's get to it. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Okay. I will say this about Prodigy, Prodigy, but... 
I also must talk about the overall music scene at the given time. See, when I was coming up, 70s, 80s, Captain showing his age, we had an eclectic mix of music. You didn't do one type of music. You did R&B. You did house. You did club. You did rock and roll and the different types of rock and roll, punk, metal, and, you know, those different types of things. You, you, just, you just got it in. You even did a little classical coming up. I can remember rapping over rock music. This is before One DMC did it, you know, years ago. <clears throat> so it was just an entirely different time. And I look at when I was coming up, before I get to Mob Deep and Prodigy, before I get to that, when, when I look at it, I look at the fact that we were exposed to eclectic music. It's like people who travel a lot. They have a different perspective, people who travel a lot. Also, too, it's like they are more well-rounded, believe it or not. People who read a lot and travel a lot. More well-rounded people, different perspective, you know. And, and at times their views are not totally dogmatic. A lot of people speak in a dogmatic manner, you know. So <clears throat> that being said, that's a little background on myself. Mob Deep, the first time I heard them was 1993 on a record called Hit It From The Back. And here's the thing at the given time, which is interesting. They actually look like DOS effects in the video to a certain the way they were dressed. You know? They didn't, look, they didn't look like, you know, they didn't have the dreads of DOS effects and everything else, but they somewhat looked like them, you know, at the given time. So that just, that just shows, you know, the look and how the look was changing over. You know, you go back a little bit before that, before you get to like 91 or 90, let's say 89, a lot of rappers dressed differently. You know, they all didn't look the same. We were starting to go down a route where everyone was starting to look the same to a certain extent, even though they didn't sound the same as of yet. So they had the record called Hit It From The Back. I, I thought it was okay, you know, at the given time. I thought it was okay. Uh, and then later on, the record that really stood out to me, was Quiet Stone, the one they did with Little Kim. Little Kim shined on that record. Now, you might say, well, Captain, I didn't know you listened to that type of stuff. I listened to all kinds of stuff. I, I was into gangster rap, especially someone like Scarface, because they did it so well. They did it so well. And for us, we just thought it was, it was just rapping on records. We didn't take it serious. You know why? Because we were coming up between 70s, 80s, and 90s. So we had the eclectic program, the eclectic program running through us. And we looked at this like, hey, this is just something these guys are doing. These guys are not serious. They're not about it like that and everything else. You know, real, we, you know, real killers are in the street. So that, that's how we pretty much looked at it, and you enjoyed it as entertainment. You understand? You're not running up trying to play gangster when – you have to finish up class, <laughs> or you have to go to work, or both. <laughs> you know, you're not trying to sell drugs. Where you know that's a fantasy. You understand? And that's how we did. It. Now later on, something entirely different. What happened later on? That's for another show. But I thought, you know, Mob Deep, Prodigy, very good group, very good group, and something that they've done very well. It's called like rapping in the pocket, meaning which they're not really ahead of the beat or behind the beat. They're right on the beat. And the better you are doing that, the better you sound. You could say BS, and it sounds like you're doing a really good job. You might not know. You might not understand that, why you don't like some of these rappers or what have you. Yeah, he got lyrics. He got this. Yeah, he's not in the pocket, so it doesn't sound that good to you, you know? And show you show your difference. Listen to early Eminem, who had a lot of lyrics, but he wasn't in the pocket. You listen to Eminem now, he's like perfect with it. He mastered it. So and Mob Deep was one of these groups, you know. Prodigy would be missed. He's definitely influential within the rap community, hip hop community, and he'd be missed. It's a tragedy. 
Back over to you, Afrodite. All right, just to be brief about it, again, as I said, um, I wasn't the biggest Mob Deep fan, and maybe it, maybe it had a lot to do with the fact that there were so many, as the captain said, eclectic acts going on at the same time. And this was, again, the early 90s where uh, historians will note that to be essentially the golden age of hip-hop music. So when you think of, let's say, I mean, it's disputed, but let's say 87 to like around 94. Some say 89 to 92. I would say from 87 to around 94, maybe even 95. But I think 95 is, is, the, is the Puffy, the Tupac, and the Biggie Smalls era. And I'm pretty sure some folks might want to include them in that era. I think that's where the hip-hop started to go into, into the decline. Uh, maybe even before that, if you, if you factor in the West Coast. But again, historians say essentially 87, 94, 89, 92. Anyway, um, the angle I, I want to discuss, Prodigy, has a lot to do with even to the, what, what's happening with today, a phenomenon of really hiding your true self. Now, I understand there's such a thing as stage presence or having a persona, but even to, to this day, to this day, pardon me, you have millennials who know a prodigy, may respect him, but a lot of it has to do with this kind of uh, manufactured gangster image based on Queensbridge houses, Queensbridge, New York, Queensbridge, Queens projects in Queens, New York. Now, the funny part of it is, is that during a a summer jam, 97.1, the local radio station, they have this summer jam event. They had one recently. He performed there recently. Years back, uh, this might have been 10 or 15 years ago now, as, as I think about it, Jay-Z, with these battles and quotes, he pulled Prodigy's card by showing a young prodigy, maybe five or six years old, in a dancer's uniform, trying to take away from all of that street cred. And, you know, on the Jumbotron, it's good to, to, to throw barbs and try to take down someone to peg. But many of these artists, many of them lie about the backgrounds that they actually come from, or maybe some of the more bourgeois, bourgeoisie connections they have. Uh, Puffy went to parochial school, uh, Sean Diddy Combs, I believe Damon Dash did as well. Uh, in the case of in the case of of Prodigy, interestingly enough, I spoke to the Oracle earlier. My dad, the tangential producer, you know the tagline of the show. He had said he looked he knew of Prodigy, but when he saw his 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 government name, he says to me, "Wait a minute, Johnson." I believe Johnson is is I believe his granddad is the great Bud Johnson. So I confirmed this. And Bud Johnson, who worked with folks like um uh oh man. I'm trying to think of some of the artists that he worked with. Uh I think I'll look up in a minute, but but his his granddad was worked with some of the greats. Some of the greats. Um Okay, yeah, now Coleman Hawkins, pardon me. Coleman Hawkins, Duke Ellington, Count Basie, Billy Holiday. Imagine that imagine, imagine that lineage and you don't really fess up to that. Now, again, that's his his granddad, right? My father who uh retired recently from being a a uh hairstylist barber barber he remembered that he also knew Prodigy's father, who was somewhat drug-addled, and I believe in his, in his autobiography, he attested that. And being a business owner in the community, his father would come by and kind of commune with my father and that kind of thing. So he knew his dad, uh, the, the, um, Mr. Starks, Captain Kirk's predecessor, lived up the block from Prodigy, and he will tell you, he remembers, again, this is a side of Prodigy that no one talks about. That Queensbridge thing was a reality, but it wasn't the only reality. His, 
his lineage was somewhat well-to-do because at his, grand, at his grandmother's house, his grandparents' house, they would have cotillions, these shishi-fufu gatherings where folks like Ben Vereen would stop by. Now, why would Ben Vereen stop by? Well, because his grandmother was a dancer and a singer, had a dance studio, guess what? Uh, half a block from my parents' home. Half a block from half a block from uh, from Mr. Starks' house was his grandparents. Now, when Mr. Starks had a recent conversation with the millennial, he didn't. He, all he was concerned about was the thuggery, or the the thug the thug posing. And when he tried to say, well, you know, he had Long Island credentials, this, that, and the other, it was hard pressed for him to believe all of that. And and why would you why would you want to deny those kind of credentials? And he came from a, a, a musical family, and he himself um, made history. And when I when I shouted out Left Rack City, Left Rack City, it's it's a quasi rough area. That's where he's, that's where he grew up between Left Rack and Hempstead, New York. But Left Rack is not Queensbridge houses. It's not, but he stayed at Queensbridge houses to make the rap connection. But he really didn't. He really didn't stay at Queensbridge, but he repped Queensbridge. So what I'm saying is, even to this day, we still seem to have this this the chicanery with these hip hop artists. Whether it's it's Rick Ross, who was a corrections officer, Officer Rick, he has to deny that because being a part being popo isn't cool if you have to have street credentials. I mean, you see how silly this stuff is? Uh, the great Rakim, perhaps my favorite rap artist, his, he, he's the nephew, and I've mentioned this before, the nephew of the, of the mighty Ruth Brown. Ruth Brown is probably one of the most premier, preeminent blues and R&B singers of all time. Ruth Brown, look her up. He mentioned her vaguely. And this is Rakim. So it, it's, it's, a little, it's a little problematic and very, very sad that, that this young man died because of this illness. We knew that he, he, he had uh, did two, three or four years in prison for gun possession. I mean, you know, it really, really wasn't about that life, but I think he got caught up in some of the, some of the nonsense. When he came out, I believe he had a, a cookbook. He had a biography. Uh, he was re- revitalizing his career. He had enough of a, of a sound catalog. Many of these 90s, 90s artists, that's the, that's the irony once again, the 90s artists have such a long sound catalog, they can, they can travel the world on this stuff. Busta Rhymes, uh, uh, who, who was the other um, Queens act? Uh, uh, so many Queens acts. Well, you know, Run DMC, Tribe Called Quest, all those people, they, they, they have a sound catalog. They have a foundation. So with a heavy heart, it's unfortunate. I can go deeper into Prodigy, but uh, I just thought that our audience should know some of this anecdotal data that uh, may not be that known, well known. And the fact that we had literally <laughs> uh, within a few feet of, of connections to these people. So uh, he will be missed. Definitely was quintessential New York, Queens, hip-hop. You'll be missed. All right. Um, All right. Hold on, Afton. I got to say this. Sure. All right. I don't think the word came off my tongue right. It's eclectic. Eclectic. Now I corrected it. <laughs> I thought I, I would say said, ecliptic. <laughs> no, no, no. You said, you said eclectic. I thought you said eclectic. Okay. Okay. All right. I, no, thought, maybe I thought, too, thought I was just... Maybe you too uh, much in your head. I thought I, I, I heard. Okay. You know, we, all you know, right. we're, all, you know, we're all doing that. No, I thought, mm-hmm. I thought you said eclectic. Um, all right. Let's, let's get into this. And, and again, folks, this is kind of a, a shortened broadcast. Um, I got to get my workout in. Uh, my friend Black Ronan, we're trying to get in Wakandan uh, heart-shaped herb, <laughs> heart-shaped herb uh, conditioning before February 2018. I mean that for real. So I'm, right after I get on the mic, off the mic, straight to the gym. Seriously. Anyway, 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. Um, anyway, uh, let's talk about this tragedy with Philando Castile. Uh, 
I think folks were very critical of my stance on the, the situation, and I wasn't trying to make light of it. But I guess I, 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 I'm very honest on this, Mike. I feel that I'm inundated with young black death, and I've gotten to the point of per- perceiving it and experiencing it in the aggregate. So, I, listen, I include diabetes because that's taken out young black men prematurely, unnecessarily so. Many of the same, these things can be, can be prevented. Your, your diet, your lifestyle. I've seen people, young people, who died at 40, died at 35, and you hear that, oh, that was natural causes. They really didn't find anything. It wasn't so much about even drug, being drug addled. I mean, aneurysms. I've, I've, I've seen a lot of, of just tra- kind of not direct, direct death. Well, some stuff I have seen as far as people I know close who have died. But we're becoming a little too comfortable with, I see a black Ronan Fife dog, another uh, Queens resident, not that, not that far from my beginnings. Anyway, uh, at 46, I believe, 45, 46. So I don't want folks to think that I'm being so, so nonchalant about Mr. Castillo. And it becomes, again, very problematic when you see, after all this time now, after all this time, we actually have, have, been, have, have been able to see what happened before, and from a different angle, what happened before his girlfriend uh, cut on her, her video, when she made her video to Facebook or what have you. So when you see just how quickly you can be taken off the board, a minute, maybe 50 seconds, a minute and 40 seconds, he was, he was out of here. I mean, it's just, it, it is a harrowing experience. And my feelings on it, and again, I must repeat, I'm looking at this in the aggregate. aggregate. I'm looking at urban terrorism, the intraracial, unnecessary skirmishes that lead to premature death, diabetes. All that to me is the same. I'm not, in, I'm not really caught up in the narrative. Many, for some reason, many folks that listen to the show that disagree with me, with us, and you're welcome to disagree and, and to deconstruct what I say, they're caught up, in, caught up a, little, a little too caught up in why something happens as opposed to it's happening. How do we address the phenomena? So, again, looking at the video, this time this is from the dash cam, audio and video. The exchange is, is rough. He was compliant. Um, again, this was another man of color. This was a, a Latino gentleman. Uh, he had his, his partner was there too. The, 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 we've, you know, we only think about uh, Officer Yanez, but he had his, his, his partner on the other side of that vehicle. But his partner didn't, didn't react the way that, his, that, that Yanez reacted. Um, the I think if you if you're going to decipher what went, went what went down, conflicting, confusing commands. The, the the fact that Mr. Castillo disclosed that he had a weapon, but he did not say, "I am a licensed gun owner. I have my weapon with me." He said, "I have to tell you, I have a gun on me." Uh, I know that might be picayune. That is a little different than someone saying, I just want to let you know I'm a licensed gun owner. He says, I have a gun on me. And then he's going back and forth, you know, uh, get, your, get your license, don't take your gun out. This, this back and forth, and this guy riddled bullets into this young man, no time flat. So, now I see John Hutton. No, no, not what he said. He did say, because I saw the transcript, he, he did not say he was a licensed gun owner. He just said, I have a gun with me. John Hutton says, I have a license. We, we could dispute that. I just saw this, the transcript. Captain, do you recollect, did you get a chance to actually see the transcript? Well, well what I saw in the transcript, <laughs> here's, the, here's the thing. I'll say this quickly, and I'll give it back to you. They said in the court, they weren't allowed to see the transcript. They just would show the video over and over again. See, you see, you see, 
You see? That's a little suspect to me right there. But I'll pass it back to you. But, yes, I did see the transcript. I did see the transcript. I did see the transcript. According to the transcript, you are correct. No, I, I think saying you are a licensed gun owner, I hate to go into respectability politics and into um, respectability politics and in going into corporatism, but I think there's a distinction when you say, I am a licensed gun owner versus I have a gun on me. You know, it, it, it's, it, it's, it, listen, it's not, it still does not warrant him being killed because his, his um, demeanor, the way he spoke, the way that his woman spoke, they're very calm. Like everybody was, everybody was calm, and that police officer went zero to 100. I mean, that's, that's, what's, that's what's up. Our friend Q-Storm, who I must say. Could I interject? Okay, well, let me just say this one thing. When I bring him in, I, you know, he knows this. This is record. He is a licensed gun owner. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, go ahead. Um, go ahead. Well, here's the, here's the thing with this, and this is what people don't understand. <clears throat> you have people, everybody has worked a job, at least the affluent listener <laughs> has worked a job. The boss yeah. walks in, and you see some people just automatically go left. They don't follow directions totally. But their intent is not to do that. You understand? But other people do what they're supposed to do. There's certain people that we have in society that when the authority rolls up, comes on the scene, you do opposite. You know, it happens. Yeah, have you ever taken a road test or you seen you might have been dropping off your son and the instructor says, turn left. The person turns right. Now, your intent was to go left, but the authority has made you a little nervous. Now, of course, you don't get shot for that. And a lot of times they won't fail you. They understand that. They'll say, okay, I told you to go this way. Parallel park right now. You parallel park. They say, okay, you know how to drive. And they walk you through the test. So you have that happening on, in society with people. You also have police officers. It's not just black people they're doing this with. It's white people. They're a little quick on the trigger. The media doesn't show that. The media doesn't show that at all. Doesn't show that. They always want to show the black and white the dynamic because it gives you clicks. And it gets everyone going. You understand? Everyone's really emotional about it because race is a big thing in this, this country. It's not one people here, and everyone's very self-important. So they like doing that, and it benefits them. They're not really putting out the true situations with police interacting with people. That being said, also, too, if you're a juror and you're on this and you're only allowed to go by that video, Right? That's me looking at it right now. Me looking at it. Remember how the system works, people. See, you want it to work some other way. Remember how the system works. Let me explain how the system works real quick. Real quick. Let's say you did a crime, but I can raise a shadow of a doubt. I can raise a shadow of a doubt, but you did the crime. Right? Let's say that's the case. What happens? You walk. Now, let's say you didn't do the crime, but all the evidence is pointing towards you, and they cannot raise a shadow of a doubt. Can't raise it. Maybe your lawyer wasn't good enough, or maybe the evidence that was you know, brought up against you was just too strong. You end up in prison or jail, depending on what the situation is. So what does that tell you? Justice system is not perfect. It's totally flawed. And it's also done because you're dealing with humans emotionally. They, see, they can't tell you that because the whole system will fall apart. All right? Your decisions are done emotionally. They tell you to go from this, go from that, but you still make your decisions emotionally. Now, that being said, you look at that video. Can you raise a shadow of a doubt? Because you don't know that in total, you can't see from the front what's going on. You're on from the back. And you don't necessarily, they weren't, according to what I read, they weren't allowed to look at the transcript. 
We were able to see it, but they said they weren't allowed to look at it. Was it manslaughter? Did he come with that intent to do that to him? You see the games they start playing? That's how the system works. Did that officer come with that intent? Is that what he was trying to do? Now, once you start walking down this path, now remember, I'm not a lawyer, but this is what they tell you. This is what the media puts out there. Once you start walking down the path, you can see why he didn't get convicted. Even the people that were delivering the news, they just felt, you can see on their faces, man, this is a messed up one here. This is a messed up one here. Everyone felt that this was messed up. But now, armed with that information, can you raise a shadow of a doubt? You see? That's the problem that you're facing with this. Court system is flawed. Now, I'm not making a case for the officer. No. I'm not making a case for an officer. I'm just telling you how the system works. Once again, I'm not a lawyer. But this is the information they're putting out there. This is what they're saying took place. Now, I ask you, can you raise a shadow of doubt based on that? That's the problem. Back over to you, Afro-Nerd. Okay, I want to bring in Q-Storm, our friend from Podcast Juice. But I'm looking at the StarTribune.com, and it has a play-by-play, and it actually has still pictures of the dash cam. And it says here, Castillo calmly informed Yanez, Sir, I have to tell you that I do have a firearm on me. Before Castillo completed the sentence, Yanez interrupted and calmly replied, Okay, and placed his right hand on the holster of his own holstered weapon. Yanez said, Okay, don't reach for it then. Castillo responded, I'm not pulling it out. And Reynolds also said, He's not pulling it out. Yanez screamed, Don't pull it out. Yanez quickly pulled his own gun with his right hand while he reached inside the driver's window with his left hand. Yanez removed his left arm from the car and fired seven shots in the direction of Castillo in rapid succession. That guy bugged out, man. But he's, you know, again, just for clarification for, for our friend John, he says, I, I have a firearm. I must let you know, sir, I have to tell you that I do have a firearm on me. That's not the same thing as saying I am a licensed gun owner. Now, from this point on, any person that I'm just going to tell you what to do, you may not like it. Cause I, know, I know black folks got this thing about how things should be versus the world you live in. And respectability politics, damn it, they, they helped me live, live this long. Odin willing. Shout out to Odin from, uh, <laughs> what's that TV show? American Gods. That old American Gods. Mr. Wednesday, anyway, I'm just telling you what you need. Now, you can, you can decide to screw me and go on with your feelings and be in the next plot next to Mr. Castillo. I'm telling you what you, do, what you need to do. Based on this, even Trevor Noah says, if you were led to, led to believe him, he's been in the States for four years. He's been stopped seven, eight, or nine times. And he says it's to the point now he just puts his hands out he puts his hands out over into uh, outside the car, and then the cops ask him why you do that. Well, he's projecting, he's forecasting, he's telegraphing, he's staying alive. Does the average white guy have to go through all that stuff? Probably not. Black and brown men, I would suggest you do this if you want to live. Now, again, if I was, if I, from this point on, I would say, officer, tell me what to do. I leave the ball in your hands. Tell me what to do. You can reach for the gun. You, you know, I'm a licensed gun owner. I'm giving you this information because of what's going on. We're going to play one, two, three, four. You tell me what to do. My hands are free. You do, you, you do everything. And then that's that. Now, some people are in their feelings. If I, want, I don't need to do that. I'm a proud, strong black man. You can still be a proud, strong black man, and you can be alive, or you can talk that ish and get a bull in your head. Or worse. That's just for the Afro nerd. Many people have shockingly followed my advice and they say, hey, it worked. Okay. All right, let's bring in Q Storm, a licensed gun owner. <coughs> Q. Hello, sir. sir. How are you, uh, man? I'm good. I don't know how I sound. I'm up in uh, Tarrytown, New York, flying my trade. I'm okay. Planning for tomorrow's shoot, so I'm on my cell phone. But um, you know, Deeper, um, like I say, I, I go with you 99% of the time. 
But typically that 1% of the time, I don't go with you because you are so way off base. Uh, <laughs> as, as you said, I am a licensed gun owner. have been one since January. Uh, I think I bought my first two weapons in Jan- on January 20th. We all know what happened January 20th. I'll leave it at that. Um, but you said it yourself. Theo said, officer, I'm paraphrasing, officer, I should tell you, I have a gun. And you you said in the transcript, it, uh, it read, the officer interrupted him. That's the first thing. We're going to get legal. We're going to break it down to our Perry Masons. The officer interrupted him. So we have no memorialization of what he would have said, and we can't get into the mind of what he would have said, but he was interrupted. We know that. The second thing is, these these officers of the law are called police for a reason. They are the ones who are paid and trained to police the situation, not us. They are intended to police the situation. Now, what what am I saying? I'm saying that on some of these cases, yeah, people get in their feelings. They want to act like I have a right to behave this way or that way. My right. This guy, he did. And I've talked to police officers in my district asking them, how do I behave? Because they can see I'm black. So they, I think they understand where I'm coming from, and they appreciate what I'm doing. But the, if Castile said, I have a firearm, and the cop interrupts him, he should interrupt him to say, do you have a license for the firearm, if he's going to interrupt him. And as Captain said, under stress levels, maybe this guy was under some measure of stress, he didn't think of exactly the right words to say. Now, me, I'm putting my hands on the dash or on the wheel, and I'm saying, good evening, officer. Uh, I, I must tell you that I, I, am a, uh, I have a CCW, and I have a weapon in the car. How would you like me to proceed? But that's, he's not me. And, like, and again, I'm going to come to, you said he interrupted the guy. And these police are called police because they're supposed to police the situation. So this was some straight up bull feces. This one and the Tamir Wright shooting, no call. No call whatsoever. All right, let me ask you a question, Q. You listening? I'm here. Based on the evidence was pre- that was presented. Now, I could be wrong, but they said the jury, the jury didn't have a chance to read the transcript. That wasn't allowed. Just look at the video. Can you raise a shadow of a doubt based on looking at that video? I have not, have not, I have not had an opportunity to, to watch the video in, in real time. Can you hear audio on the video? Yeah, you hear audio, but actually the transcript is better. It's more intimate, <laughs> to tell you the truth. Well, well, I would say if the jury was only allowed to see the video, I'm not a lawyer, if the jury was only allowed to see the video, I would love to know why was the transcript not entered into evidence and why did, why, did the, um, why did the defense attorney, I guess it would be the defense attorney, how did he allow that not to be entered into evidence? Can I can I say can I say one thing? Can I say one thing? Because I, I see someone from the DMV is also calling in, and I want to I want to keep everyone on the line. Now it gets hot and heavy, and we got about fifteen minutes remaining. Cap. Uh, anyway, uh, Stevie Wonder, the famed iconic Stevie Wonder, Stevie Morris, someone slammed him down recently because he was uh, speaking somewhere, and he made some overtures about the the, the travesty of the situation. Then he went into Afro into an Afro-nerdism. and now terms like respectability politics comes up. I really don't like people who have an issue with respectability politics. I really don't like them because these people have the affordability of breathing air. They talk this ish as a from a luxury positioning for a dime, and even and even when Stevie Wonder, whose credentials as far as black culture, as far as uh, uh, giving producing thoughtful, soulful music, music that really really speaks to the black condition, if you can't even handle Stevie Wonder, even if you disagree with him, you shouldn't disrespect it. Even he has been critiqued with his whole 
respectability politics, shut up. When he makes the connection of we got to stop killing ourselves, we have to stop. This whole thing about not being allowed to conflate. Damn it, I'm conflating. I'm conflating. I'm looking at things in the aggregate. It's all black death. Let's get a handle of this. When Stevie Wonder spoke and he gets slammed for, the, for, for Afro Nerd, I tell you right now, I got a, I got a high mighty that you thought I was rough to deal with before. If me and Stevie Wonder on the same page, listen, I already thought, I, I already believe I'm part of the revolution. Okay, if I, if I, if, hold on. If I could make, if I could uh, stand on stage with Dr. Fink and we rename it Dez and the Revolution, which sounds very, very nice, Dez, that's me. That's me. Okay. So, so if I'm on the same page as Stevie Wonder, you can't tell me. So let me play this clip of Stevie Wonder. People are handing him his ass too. If I never, if I ever believed that I'm really on the side of righteousness. This is the point where your boy, you're not going to be able to speak to me. If, if Stevie Wonder can, can, is going to catch it because Nick Knox have a problem, I know. I get in my because way. it is in your hands. It is in your hands to do it. It is in your hands to stop all the killing and all the shooting, wherever it might be. Because you cannot say... Black Lives Matter, and then kill yourself. Because you know that we've mattered long before it was said, but the way we show that we matter, the way that we show all the various people of color matter is by loving each other and doing something about it, not just talking about it. Now, just waiting to see the media and press come when there's a horrible thing. All right. Let me, let me bring in someone for the community. 301, tell us who you are, where you're calling from. Hey. Uh, this is uh, Charles Kern from D.C., man. How are you doing? Pretty How good, man. Going, sir? Yeah, I called in uh, a couple weeks ago, and... Um, you know, it, when you look at all this stuff about these, these police officers and the shootings, it's, it's you know, this stuff has been going on for many, many years. It's been going on for so many, uh, you know, it's not incidents anymore. It's, um, and I made some in the chat that this is not the, this is the system uh, working as it is intended. They have, you know, this is the system that has... Um, you know, not just killing off um, black uh, people and such, but also other races and everything else. In fact, you have um, uh, like uh, white people getting killed by the police in, more, in oh, a yeah. higher number. But it's just, but you know, most of them, I think it's just this acceptance of it. It is an acceptance of like, well, that's the police and they're always right. And I hate to say this, but it seems that, you know, it's this um, propaganda of, like, the police always, you know, how we have, like, movies and television shows and, and uh, you know, all these type of things showing how cops, while can be somewhat corrupted, but also, like, oh, they're good people and all this type of stuff. You know how, you, you know what I'm saying, right? That, uh, you know, it's how it's been portrayed for how many years. Of police um, and everything else, and he's, um, you know, like okay, they're, you know, they're flawed men, but they're still good people. They're still good people and everything else, and and you know, even if they do something by accident, they don't really mean it or anything like that. Which okay, that can be the case, but there is no consequence for them. There is no consequence, and and at worst, you get, um, you know, you have the state, you you pay out the, you know, you know, the person does, you know have been wrong, the state paid for it. Not the police, you know, uh, retirement fund or anything else or anything like that. It's, you know, it's the state that has to pick up the tab. And in, and until that changes, and until laws change, like say the war on drugs and all that type of stuff, that, you know, it takes down more people you know, of color and other people, you know, and all that type of stuff. You will not see any, ch- and, you know, and heck, even um, firing some police officers and putting in um, private uh, police, because I think that would 
help out more because there are some there are small towns and cities that fired their local police departments and brought in local like these uh, you know private police officers that not only um, knocked the violence down but also the crime went down as well. So, and I think if that happens more often, you will have more of these state polices and or town polices be on their p's and q's, and they will not be. You know, I'm not saying there will never ever be something like. Uh, the Julio Castillo or what's happening in um, in other of these cities again because that's impossible, even the most because, uh, you know, they have humans behind them and there's always going to be mistakes and everything else but as long as there's no real accountability, there's no real uh, consequences either financially or you know, getting these officers jail time, it's still going to happen let, let, let me say something real quick because we're short on time, we're doing a truncated show unfortunately, we've got about 8 minutes remaining let me mention, mention right. this real quick. All right. I, I, that's all right. I would suggest our listenership go to bloggingheads.tv, the Glenn Show, Glenn Lowry, bloggingheads, one word, bloggingheads.tv, and look for a show. I, I, I'm going to try to put the link in the chat yeah. room. This is going back a year ago where uh, Glenn Lowry had interviewed a former police officer. Now he is a professor at uh, uh, John Jay College. And he talked about what you talked about. I just put the link in the, in the chat room. He talked about the fact that many white folk, I mean, you could talk about this cross-racially, but he said the real thing that's very interesting is that if white, people, if white people were more aware of just how many white people were being killed in similar fashion to the black folks under specious reasoning with the police, they would be upset. But the media are into this kind of uh, sensationalism because if you show that black and brown people, it's a bit more sexy. But if you really want to talk about uh, police malfeasance in the aggregate, you may want to start focusing on, you know, hey, there's quite a few white folks, maybe half the amount of that, that black and brown, but still, a, but, but still enough where they should be concerned. While they're not, but while they're looking at the black and brown skins, the white skins are catching bullets also. Now, that's one thing which you just said is very correct. Moscos, who was a former former uh, police officer himself. Now, um, my friend Q-Storm in the chat room was saying things about me losing uh, credibility, and I'm, I'm kind of speaking in two different ways. No, what I'm saying is I'm trying to get you out of your feelings so you learn how to survive in these circumstances. I've said this very bluntly. I know I have white listeners Latin listeners, I have listeners all over the all over the world. Believe it or not, we have the, we get the analytics analytics uh, Vietnam to Canada to Nigeria to UK. They're listening to African radio. Believe it or not, this is the internet. I make distinctions with people. I don't do the color thing. I don't do plantation Olympics. But we know that there is such a thing as nignogs, and we know there's such a thing as crackers. This is not the progressive evolved, well-heeled white person. Shout out to John Hutton. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about crackers. I don't trust crackers. Never did, never will. I got that lesson around five years old. I, when you say the cops are supposed to do A, A to Z, I'm not going to put my full trust in what the officer is doing. You have some control, some agency, some agency about how you want to try to survive the encounter. Now, I'm not saying that what happened to Mr. Castillo wasn't a, tra- a travesty and a tragedy. But when it got to the point of him saying, I have a gun on me, it's a little different than saying, I'm a licensed gun owner. It's People will com- complain about respectability politics, like they tried to land base Stevie Wonder. But Stevie Wonder told the truth. And while you keep on getting in your feelings, you're going to be back here another month, another week, with more black male death, sometimes black female, but mostly black male. And we're going to be in your feelings, and people are still dying, and you're, going to, and you're going to have the affordability and the luxury to say respectability politics. So I, that's the part I'm confused on. Now, the I'm gentleman – well, yeah, one more thing. The gentleman you referenced, Q-Storm, where he was he, – we saw the dash cam. He didn't have a weapon. You're correct. It's nothing he did wrong. Now, he was a little too comfortable. Maybe you, can't be, maybe you just can't be comfortable with cops. He, he did what the police officer did. He turned around into his car to get his information, and he gets shot. That cop, is a, that cop went to jail, and I believe 
he he became a criminal, where he, where uh, him and his wife were caught stealing from a Seven Eleven. So what I'm saying is, is that the irony is, when it was that blunt, that clear, the cop did go to jail, but that those kind of stories again, like the fact that he was caught, was wronged, ironically became a criminal, that dissimilar to the criminals that he was trying to catch. For some reason, that wasn't sexy. The media didn't focus on, we actually got one. They better keep you focused on these acquittals because it is a narrative that sells papers, that, that, that continues to have ratings jump, but we will not get complete truth. That dude you talk about, that guy went to jail and became a criminal, although he's a former cop. There's a difference. It gets back to policy. That's why the media is not reporting. Not just It's not just clicks. It's policy, something I spoke about before. And when you said policy, there you go. I'm not there here to make go. you feel comfortable. I'm not here to make you feel comfortable. I'm letting the folks know right now. I play rock music. We talk about comic books. We talk about this, this nignoggery, and we talk about when people F up. But I'm going to tell you certain things because I, I respect my listeners. I respect that you, you have been hanging with us all this time, and I want you to be different. I do want you to be alive. And, and Q, as a licensed gun owner, you better get some respectability politics on you and figure out a way. I'm not gonna, you better make a decision if you want to be a victim and figure out how to survive these encounters. So I'm not going to just give it up to the cop because he was supposed to do something. I'm not doing that. The cops are trained. And, the cops are trained, so they're supposed to behave in a certain manner. Like, they may be racist. Not, Hold on. Well, they may be racist. I got that. I get it. Right. But if a cop approaches a car and is uh, and the demeanors are calm and the gentleman in the car, black gentleman in the car says, because most thugs tend not to say, I have a firearm officer, they tend not to do that. So I have no reason to believe that Castile was not practicing respectability politics. And, again, you're glossing over the facts. I'm not in my feelings. I'm in my facts. You said he was interrupted. So he didn't get a chance to finish what he might have said. Yeah, but the you cop messed, the, you, the cop the cop is beholden to certain behavior. But but listen to when you use the term you messed up when you said supposed to. A lot of things are supposed to go down. You you have to come to the realization that you have some control about what you do. Like in other words, we've seen cops act fanatical. We see well hold on. We've seen cops act fanatical. Like it's not you can't have two people act fanatical. Somebody has to be the intelligent person in the room. And when you say terms like supposed to, supposed to is not as different than what he's what he is what he is doing. They're supposed to, and what he and what he is doing. You have to react Deeper. to what he is doing. So you're you're absolving police officers of all responsibility. So I, I could say I, well, I could say cops are supposed to read you your Miranda rights. Right, and, but no, you, you you shouldn't expect them to do that. You ask them to say they're supposed to do something. There has to be a, a standard. Now well, I don't tell- expect me to, I don't expect as a black person to jump bad and say no, I'm not doing that. So like a white person may be able to do because I could say a cop is supposed to treat me like a white man. No, that's not what a cop is supposed to do because I don't expect them to. But if I am behaving and comporting myself in a manner that that uh, I'm supposed that I'm supposed to do. Then I expect reciprocity from the officers. You are using terms in certain ways. When you use terms like supposed to and expect, I don't do those things. I can only account for my actions. Uh, Captain, we got seconds now, but what, what, am I, where is the miscommunication? I'm, I almost agree with, you, agree with you, Q, about how things are supposed to work out, but that's not the reality. How do you how do you being, navigate? I think you're being unfair. I think you're being hot. I know now. Caps don't get on me about fairness. I don't care. I think you're being highly unfair to uh, Mr. Castile. I can see. I, I go with you on all these other guy uh, people who were acting out in front of police officers. This guy was not acting out. That uh, could have been you in that car. Captain, we're we're in the podcast section now. I'll give you the last word, and then we, we got to jump out of here. i got a workout to do. Go ahead. Here's the reality of the situation. Everything could be perfect, 
but not perfect. It's going to go wrong sometimes. I think it went wrong from the jury standpoint. I think even looking at that video, I need the other angle. That's wrong. You know, it just goes wrong sometimes. Now, who 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 has to pay when it goes wrong? We do. Cop is not going to pay. You know, that's what I think. And that's my last word. We'll have to revisit. We'll revisit this again. We will revisit this again, too. Um, we agree to disagree. And I, I just want people to survive. Whatever goes down, make sure you are clear-headed. And I, I understand what you're saying, that if you, you believe Castillo did nothing wrong. And, and, and I'm just telling you, I, th- I think that there's a way he could have survived that encounter. Even though, he, even though the, the officer was wrong. I'm not saying the officer wasn't. I never said the officer was right. I'm just telling you, how do you survive this? And I wouldn't simply say as a black man, I would be conscious enough to say, I can't just be a black man to say, hey, I have a gun. I have a firearm. Not, nah, not, uh, uh. Now we're going to have to go play by play. I know white folks going to do this, but your black behind's going to have to do that. We're going to have to do A, B, C, D, like a child. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. You should not have to do it. You should expect, you should expect respect. You should expect professionalism, but you just might not get it. So then what do you do? I think I'm pretty clear. Anyway, we're going to, we're going to have to revisit this. Uh, you know, Cap, I'm, I'm trying to play an outro because uh, I got to get up out of here and sweat. All right. Herbie Hancock, Sun Touch. Saturday, folks, we got to talk about this um, Fox doing a Fantastic Four. I'm going to boycott Fox, by the way. Anyway, when, Saturday, the Grindhouse. It's been real. Thank you. Thank you, Q.